Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, a podcast where Superman still stands for truth, justice, and the American way. This is episode 48. My name is Michael Bradley, and joining me is Charlie Niemeyer. Yay! Hi, everybody. How's it going? And he's really here this episode. Uh, I know. I wasn't just pretending. I, I had promised that Charlie would be here last episode, and then I did a bit of shuffling in the schedule, so we all had to wait an extra week for the show to be awesome again. But he's here now, uh-huh. so... You lied to your fans? I didn't lie. I was mistaken. <laughs> or I, oh, okay. I, I changed plans. See, I was... This week was supposed to be the fifth week episode, so... But I decided uh-huh. to move that to last week because I wanted to do my Thanksgiving thing. Because uh, Thanksgiving okay. was last week, so we just shuffled around. But it's all good now because you're here. And yeah, well, I, I I don't mind it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this episode, we're going to be looking at the fifth storyline from the Superman Radio Show. Hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. Um, we're actually recording this a little ways before Thanksgiving because me trying to edit a podcast in just a few days would not be fun at all. But especially uh, after all that turkey, right? And I'm full and sleeping instead of editing a podcast but extra notch on the belt <laughs> but i hope uh everyone out there in listener land had a good thanksgiving or uh, a normal thursday for those that aren't in the u.s <laughs> or do you don't have celebrate any, yeah do you have any thanksgiving plans charlie yes uh we're actually going up to kansas to pick up my father-in-law and drive him from there up to colorado to spend thanksgiving with most of my wife's family wow so you'll be traveling across the country, won't you? Basically, it's it's about a uh, roughly 14-hour trip one way. Wow. Yeah, gonna, I'm not looking too you much gonna for drive it. that in one, one day or? Oh, heck no. Okay. No. Uh, no, we're driving up. When we pick up my father-in-law, we're actually going to stay the night at his house. Oh, okay. And then the next day, his, his, he, he lives about halfway. Okay. So then it's it's like a, it's like about six and a half, seven hours to his house and then another six and a half or seven up to – uh, it's Loveland, Colorado. Hmm. It's going to be fun while we're there. It's yeah, just getting just there. Long and getting drive back. there. Yeah, yeah, that's the rough part. Yeah, we used to go every summer down to uh, Falls Church, Virginia, which is about an hour, hour and a half from D.C., mm-hmm. and that was about an eight-hour drive from where we lived, and that was a long drive. I can't even imagine going 14 hours. Well, no, no offense, but I've been to Falls – I mean I used to live near there – why were you going to Falls Church? Oh, because I had a uh, my dad's yeah. aunt and uncle lived there. Okay, okay, okay. Because <laughs> I'm like, it's Falls Church. But if you got family there, that's all right. uh, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, we used to uh, have a every summer make the make a trek from our place in Central Maryland down to my dad's parents in Central Florida. Okay. So that was – I don't know how many hours that was, but that was usually uh, leave one night, get there in the middle of the next day, yeah. drive through type of thing. So we used to stop at a hotel when we were all little kids, but yeah, that wasn't – I didn't like the trip too much, but we had a lot of fun there. And usually we would, able to, we would be able to spend like two weeks there, so that was really cool. But that that's really has nothing to do with the Superman radio show, so. Well, if you were, su- <laughs> if you were Superman, you could have just flown there. Yeah, I could have been there in right. minutes. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. <laughs> In the city of Metropolis, Clark Kent appears to be a mild-mannered reporter for the Daily Planet. Unknown to the world, he's also Superman, fighting a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. 
But before there was Metropolis, there was Smallville. Before there was Lois Lane, there was Lana Lane. Before he was Superman, he had adventures as Superboy. Dave's Amazing World of Superman presents The Smallville Chronicles, a Superboy podcast. A weekly look at the adventures of Superman when he was a boy. Featuring an issue-by-issue look at the pages of Superboy from his appearances in Adventure Comics and his own title. Find it weekly at AmazingWorldOfSuperman.com Okay, so like I said, this episode we're looking at the fifth storyline from the from the radio show. It was six parts long, episodes 20 through 20, 22 through 27, and it ran from April 1st to April 12th, 1940. April Fool's. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the Daily Strips were running a story that we're going to look at next week, and the Sundays were continuing a story that we'll look at in future episodes, probably not until next year, actually. Uh, but Action Comics number 24, which I looked at in episode 45, came out a week before this started, and Action Comics number 25 came out about a week and a half later. And our title is Emerald of the Incas. As our story opens today, Clark Kent sits at his desk in the city room of his newspaper, putting the finishing touches on a follow-up story about the bursting of the great dam at Dyerville, a strange adventure in which Superman played a thrilling part. But already an even stranger adventure is at hand. Above the clatter of typewriters and news tickers, Kent hears the door of a private office open behind him. He half turns in his chair, just as Jay Hamlin, assistant to Editor White, calls him by name. Okay, as Clark is putting the finishing touches to his article about his adventures in Dyerville, Jay Hamlin, Perry White's assistant, calls Clark into his office and introduces him to Elsie Beecham, daughter of Dr. George Haven Beecham, who is an explorer, scientist, and archaeologist. Apparently, nine months ago, the good doctor went to the jungles of South America to oversee the excavation of some ancient tombs. But after keeping in close contact while he was there, his last litter arrived shortly before he was due to return home and basically told Elsie not to bother coming to see him when he, when he arrives. He finally called her two hours after his boat docked, but didn't really have much to say other than stating that he wouldn't be able to see her for a while and that he was going to their house in Brentwood. She had obeyed his wishes until just yesterday, but when she tried calling him, there was no answer. Now, this worries her because obviously if he's held up in the house, someone should have answered the phone. So... She, she is worried, but she doesn't want to go to the police because that would anger her father. So Clark is given the assignment to drive her out to Brentwood and look in on the good doctor. After dinner, they drive up to Brentwood, but all the lights are off and the place looks closed up. So after driving past the entry gate, Clark pulls over and heads back on foot to see if the gates are open. First, he checks out a section of fence only to find out that it's electrified. Determining that this is a job for Superman, he quickly changes and flies around to the gates which are both closed and electrified. So he decides to just kick him in and then flies back to the car, switching back to Clark. He then drives the car back to the gates and drives into the property, but abruptly stops the car and turns off all the lights, warning Elsie that they could run into trouble. So, hoping to sneak up without being spotted, he leaves her again in the car. And switching back to Superman, he flies up to the second floor of the building and starts checking things out through a window when he hears a door slam and the car horn start blaring and dogs barking. 
He returns to the car and quickly fights off the dogs and decides that he will take Elsie with him this time back to the house, especially since he saw someone inside. But he gets interrupted by the beating of a tom-tom, which sounds like it's coming closer. And the episode ends with Elsie freaking out because she sees a giant man coming towards them. As our next episode begins, the giant man Elsie saw has disappeared. Clark reassures the girl and reluctantly agrees to take her along as he goes to find a way inside the house. But before they can go, the drumming starts again. The pair hides behind a row of bushes and spy a man. A tremendous big black man. Their words, not mine. It's Shaq! No, sorry. They start, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you can take that out. <laughs> they start moving towards the house, trying to remain hidden behind the bushes, but are spotted by the man. Clark tells Elsie to stay hidden and run while he lingers back to confront the giant as Superman. Our hero surprises the giant, demanding to know who he is and where he came from. And after some really racially stereotyped dialogue from the giant, the two soon start fighting. The giant pulls a knife, but Superman picks up the giant and throws him into the top of a nearby tree where he won't cause any more problems. Because, as we all know, giant men can't climb trees. Or out of them. Right. <laughs> Resuming his guise of Clark Kent, he finds Elsie, and the two try to enter the house. After finding the door locked, Clark throws a stone, shattering the lock to pieces, much to Elsie's surprise. Clark dismisses it as an old lock, and the two head inside the house. Once inside, Clark and Elsie wander through the home, lit only by candlelight. Elsie thinks she hears a noise upstairs, but Clark says the house is probably deserted because no one came when they broke in. But then they hear even more noises upstairs. Elsie pleads with Clark not to leave her alone, but Clark assures her and tells her to stay put while he goes upstairs to investigate. After going upstairs, Clark knocks on the door to the room where they heard the noises. He gets no answer and finds the door is locked, but is sure he hears someone breathing inside. He calls out for them to open the door, but a voice inside warns him to stay back or he'll shoot. Despite the warning, Clark breaks through the door. The man shoots, but the bullets, of course, have no effect. Clark wrestles the gun away from the man, who simply yells, You've tracked me down, but you'll never get it! You'll never get it! Clark soon subdues the man and learns that he is Dr. Beecham. He tells him that he's a reporter and explains that Jay Hamlin had sent himself and his daughter Elsie to find him. Dr. Beecham berates Clark for bringing her, saying that he's probably killed her, maybe killed them all. Clark tries to get the doctor to go downstairs and talk to Elsie, but the doctor says he can't leave the room. Suddenly, Elsie's screams pierce the night. Clark and the doctor urgently run downstairs, only to find Elsie gone. Clark and the doctor head outside to look for Elsie. When they don't see her, Clark has Dr. Beecham head back in to look for her in the house while he checks around outside. Switching to Superman, he flies off to check on his large friend to see if he, if he took her. Seeing that he's not where he left him in the tree, he decides to go looking for him and spots a car with a lone man inside. So he flies down and plucks the man out of his car. The man admits to bringing two small brown men and that he'd been trying to get away because he was freaked out by all the screaming, dog barking, and the giant guy. Deciding he wanted to keep an eye on him, Superman flies back to the house with him. When they get there, he changes back to Clark in full view of this man and basically threatens the guy into keeping his secret. Then the doctor catches up to them just in time for them to have something whiz past their heads. So they get inside and bar the doors. The doctor learns about 
the stranger driving the little men to Brentwood, and after a few questions, figures that the little men had brought a blowgun, which could be used to shoot poison-tipped darts, which is probably what was whizzing by their heads. Clark figures that they must not have Elsie, since they're shooting at them, but that they must be after something. Before the doctor can tell Clark what it is, he's hit by a dart. He has Clark retrieve a glass tube and needle from his pocket and has him inject the serum inside his shoulder. As the doctor starts fading away, he mentions something about the sacred emerald of the Incas changing the world before he falls quiet. Our next episode picks up an hour later. The taxi driver has hidden himself in the cellar, and the doctor is beginning to recover. As Beecham and and Clark catch each other up, and the listener, on the events of the last couple episodes, they suddenly hear a knocking on the door, and Elsie's cries for help outside. Opening the door, Elsie and a badly wounded Zingri enter. Elsie explains that two little brown men, once again, their words, not mine, broke in and grabbed her. Zingri followed and saved her, but was hit by more of the native's poison darts. Beecham is happy his daughter has returned, but unfortunately, nothing can be done for Zingri. There's no more serum, and the poison acts too quickly to make more. Zingri soon dies, and Beecham and Clark carry his body into the next room, never to be thought of again. Since this is 1940, and they can't turn on the expositional news network, Clark tells the doctor to explain just what in the world has been going on for the last three episodes. Beecham explains that the natives are members of the Azatlan Indian tribe, which is located in South America. He tells of a large emerald statue carved in the shape of an Azatlanian god, roughly three inches wide and eight inches tall, and says he brought it back with him from his trip. Because the statue is a sacred idol of the tribe, the Azatlan Indians are trying to get it back, which is why he's been hiding. But despite the fact that he stole the statue, it's all very innocent. You see, he has no interest in the value, but simply wants to study the statue. The ancestors of the Azatlan tribe were known as the Immortal People, and he believes the carvings on the statue hold the secrets to life and hopes to unlock the secret to benefit all mankind. With the exposition done, the doctor thinks he hears more noises upstairs, and suddenly an explosion rocks the upstairs portion of the house. Believing it's the natives trying to get the emerald, the doctor tries to run upstairs. However, with the stairway blocked, Clark tells the doctor and Elsie to try to go up the back way. Once gone, Superman begins tearing through the debris. As the three get to the upstairs room pretty much simultaneously, they realize the safe has been blown and that the emerald is gone. Hearing a noise outside, Clark climbs over the debris and sees the natives making their escape in an auto-gyro. Several minutes later, Clark is about to jump out the window when Elsie accidentally turns her ankle. Clark suggests he run down to the car and follow the autogyro, and after checking with the doctor, they figure they're probably headed to the nearby sound. So despite their protests, and after what he's already done the last few episodes, he jumps out the window to the ground. He then runs to the trees, changes to Superman, and with an up, up, and away, he takes to the sky, flying in ever-widening circles until he sees a glint of silver over the sound. As he flies after it, we actually go inside the auto driver where the little men mention that the emerald is safe and that by this point, the doctor's house should be going up in flames. But then they spot Superman heading toward them and he enters the auto gyro. And apparently he does this by just opening the door and just walking in. Superman begins to threaten them to get them to give back the emerald before they bring the fire at the Beecham house to his attention. 
So Superman heads out, smashes the front propeller, propeller, and takes it down to the water while they'll be left to float helplessly while he heads back to the stone house. Back at the house, we learn that Elsie and the doctor have escaped from the house, but once they're outside, Elsa remembers that Eddie, the taxi driver, is still down in the cellar. At this point, Clark shows up to see them safe, and they also remind him about Eddie. Clark has them stay there while he goes around back to see if they can get to him. Around back, Clark forces his way in, grabs Eddie, and then brings him back, feigning tiredness. He then heads back out after the auto gyro. After he leaves, Dr. Beecham spots a sacred amulet on the ground that is only worn by the highest priests of the Azatlan. He believes that he can use it to get the Azatlan priest to let him borrow the emerald, but he doesn't know where they are. But Elsie reveals that Eddie just woke up and somehow told her that they have a plane at the airport, so they decide to drive off and head to the airport. We pick up in the next episode a short while later as Dr. Beecham and Elsie race in a car towards the airport, trying to catch the natives before they leave. After a lengthy bit of dialogue between the two explaining what happened in the last couple episodes, we cut to Superman, who is soaring high in the air looking for, a, looking for any sign of the wrecked gyro. Spotting the wreckage and seeing that it was deliberately sunk, he switches back to Clark Kent and pays a visit to a nearby Coast Guard station. The officials tell him that the natives were picked up in their... Uh, excuse me, they were picked up after their gyro crashed, but had left and headed to the central airport, which is about 30 miles away, for a flight that is set to depart in just five minutes. Back in the car, Dr. Beecham and Elsie arrive at the airport, where they see a seaplane about to take off. Assuming it's the natives, Beecham runs after them, but the plane departs despite the stormy weather. Just then, Superman races in and rockets towards the plane. But before he can overtake it, a bolt of lightning hits the plane, sending it plummeting downwards towards the water below. Under cover of darkness, Superman speeds after the craft, while back on the ground, the Doctor and Elsie watch, trying to figure out what's happened. Soon, Clark shows up with the two natives in hand. He tells the Beechams he saw the plane go down and was able to rescue the natives, but that a third, the pilot, was killed. Clark then goes on to, s to give the Doctor some sad news as well. Pulling him aside, he explains he had a choice, saving the natives or saving the baggage. Elsie and the doctor understand, of course, saying that he made the right choice, but lamenting the loss of the emerald and whatever secrets it might have held. One of the natives approaches, thanking Clark for saving their lives. He starts to say something about how Clark flew through the air, but Clark quickly changes the subject. The native says he knows they wanted the emerald and confirms that it was lost in the water. With the confirmation, Beecham produces the amulet, saying there's no use him keeping it anymore. As thanks for the return of the amulet, the native agrees to work with the Beechams to decipher the writings that were on the emerald. He and the other high priests have memorized the carvings, but there is no longer anyone who knows what they mean. With everyone happy, Clark says goodbye to the Beechams and heads off to file a story with the paper. The end. The end. Another, another story that ends without a cliffhanger to the next story. Yep. Interesting. Hey everybody, my name is Michael Bailey, and this is the trailer with a truly epic ending to my new show about Batman, appropriately titled Bailey's Batman Podcast. Bailey's Batman Podcast is a weekly program 
that looks at a month in the life of the Dark Knight detective, starting with the books bearing a March 1983 cover date, which is where my solid run of the characters' comics begins, and moving forward until, well, at least until the books that came out in 2005, because that's where the solid run ends. Each week, I will give you a full synopsis and review of every major ongoing Batman title, with brief stops along the way to look at the important specials, miniseries, one-shots, and Elseworld stories just to keep things interesting. I'll also be telling you what other books Batman appeared in that month, as well as what was going on elsewhere in the DCU. It is going to be all Batman all the time as I look at over 20 years of the character's history. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the epic ending to this trailer. You ready? The first appearance of Jason Todd. Death in the Family. Nightfall. Epic. No Man's Land. Do you have chills yet? All of that and more will be covered on Bailey's Batman Podcast. Every Tuesday at baileysbatmanpodcast.com. Our cast this time, we've got Bud Collier as Superman and Clark Kent, Marjorie Anderson as Elsie Beecham, Ned Weaver as Jay Hamlin and Dr. Beecham, and Arthur Vinton as Zingri, Eddie the Cab Driver, and the High Priest of Azatlan. Episode 22 is called The Brentwood Mystery, and um, <laughs> I kind of got a laugh out of the, the beginning of it because it was kind of funny how they... Uh, summarized the last storyline by basically saying that there was a mystery at Dyerville and Superman played a thrilling part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, well, yeah, you don't need to know more since the two stories aren't really connected, but still, <laughs> it, it's kind of like they had the entire episode written and, and then they said, oh, shoot, we forgot to segue from the last story. Okay, uh, let's just say Clark was sitting at a desk typing up the story and Superman did something exciting. Go. <laughs> it works. <laughs> yeah. But I do like that they're all that they're connecting all the stories, though. Even though they're they're, they're segueing from one to the other, even though they're yeah. not connected. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Now um, we start off with their, the assistant uh, Jay Hamlin. Yeah. Is that the? I can't remember if his voice is the same. Is that the same uh, editor that they that Clark talked to a few episodes back uh, with the um, mind story? No. Jay Hamlin's a new character. Okay. It's, it's, well, I know they did name the last guy, but I can't. I couldn't remember if it, if he sounded the same or anything. It might have been Ned Weaver doing the voice. I'd have to go back and, and re-listen to that set of episodes. But but okay. yeah, Jay Hamlin's a new character, and I. It seems kind of odd that they would introduce a new character when you could have used Perry White in this role. And it makes me wonder if Julian Noah was just not available for some reason. Because he has no roles at all in this batch of episodes, which is the first. Yeah, maybe he got like um, laryngitis or something. It could be, yeah, from playing. <laughs> from playing seventeen every single storyline, yeah. Yeah, he's playing seventeen characters in every story, so let's give him a break. Yeah, I like when Elsie's explaining her the story of her and her dad. She kind of stumbles as if she's reading something, <laughs> which obviously I'm thinking is just because it's the actress. Uh, reading her script, but could be, yeah. Um, it just seemed kind of funny. It, it made me wonder 
or I guess it added to the mystery of if this was something that they went back and edited later, why didn't they, ha- you know, do it a second take? But maybe it, it, maybe it really is just you have one shot, go with it. And, right. It, yeah, it could be. I mean, I, I don't she, know. I, di- I didn't really notice her stumbling over her words too much. But maybe that's because I'm used to myself reading a synopsis, <laughs> and I, I I have to keep stumbling over what I'm supposed to read. But uh, it, it, it it's not so much of a stumble, I guess. It's kind of like a hesitant kind of pause. It oh, just, okay. It, it looked like she was she had lost track of where she was on the script and had to find it real quick. Right. More than stumbling over the words. I mean, it just it was enough that out of the whole thing she was saying, it was the first time it something sounded not natural. Okay, I had to go back yeah. and listen to to see, but yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, but anyway, I'm glad that they threw in the line about why she didn't just call the police about her missing father. But I think her reasoning is pretty stupid. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he hates publicity, but if he's in trouble, you know, I I don't think he would mind the police getting involved rather than a newspaper who's going to publicize the story. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I just need someone to check. Well. I thought she was going to uh, Hamlin specifically because they were like family friends or something. Okay, yeah, that's. Oh, yeah, that she's his niece. That's a good point. Yeah. But anyway, um, I, I like the fa- fact though that Clark kind of uses the opportunity to get a date. <laughs> yeah, he he says, "Oh, let's go get dinner before we go out there," and I'm like, "No, don't don't stop for dinner. This man could be dead or worse." And and. Just go now. Exactly. Eat later. You're not Batman. Just go now. <laughs> exactly. Because what was it that um, I think she's all worried. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's like, well, it's six. Why don't we go have some dinner and then we'll go check things out. It's like She's like, oh, okay. We can do yeah, that. Sounds like fun. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> if you're worried, you probably should be getting your butts over there now. But yeah. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been dark enough, I guess. The the only thing I can think of is why – I was actually thinking about this the other day, about why so many stories from this era have these kind of scenes. I mean other than – you know, in the, in the Batman stories, you, you had to have the final climax at the end. You mm-hmm. know, Batman couldn't take on the Joker or whoever it was until the end of the story. But here, you don't have that problem because they could have just went out there to Stonehouse, you know. They, they don't actually have any scene of them having dinner, so it's not like they're trying to lengthen right. the story. But yeah. I think what it is is that this is their form of maybe not character development, but trying to make the characters feel more authentic. It's like, and oh, well, Clark and, Clark and Elsie have dinner, and I ha-, you know, making them feel more real. Mm-hmm. It, but, it makes sense, but, yeah, at least we know that Clark eats. Yeah. But yeah, it really doesn't help the story much. Okay, I'm pretty sure it's not, but it, it was just the first time I really noticed it. Was that that wasn't the first? This episode doesn't have the first time he says that this looks like a job for Superman. I think is it? it is. Oh, really? I think this is the first time he's actually used that phrase. He said things kind of like it before in the comics or, or even the the radio show, but mm-hmm. I think this is the first time he's actually said this looks like a job for Superman. Where are you going, Mr. Kent? Well, I just thought I'd run back and see if the gates are open. Wait here a minute, will you? Well, don't leave me alone here too long, Mr. Kent. Don't worry, Miss Beecham. I'll be right back. I hope she doesn't try to follow me. Something about the look of this fence and gate I don't quite like. It's too carefully hidden away back of the shrubbery. Purposely hidden. I wonder why. Ah, here we are. Now, I wonder if I can get through the fence or over it or... Oh! 
Electrified, eh? <laughs> Quite a jolt, too. Ah, this looks like a job for Superman. Sweet. Okay, cool. Smart. It wasn't just me. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. Um, now, again, it's a, it's something we, we keep... Uh, probably, I'm going to stop eventually mentioning it, but we once again... And I know it's the t- because of the time, but again, we have an actress that kind of overreacts or overacts. Yeah. I thought but, she was... I thought this Marjorie Anderson, though, I thought she was probably the best female actress we've had on the show so far, though. Yeah, she gets better as, the, as they go on. Yeah. But that first one, it was like, you're not going to leave me in the car, are you? And it's just like, ah. But again, it, it's just one of those things that even though no matter how many episodes we're going to listen to, just because of the fact that we, we've grown up in the you know late 20th century, early right. 21st century, and this is from the early 20th century, it's just one of those things that's just going to kind of annoy the whole time. But yeah. you, you got to look past it. It's just sometimes it's hard. Yeah, and, and like I said, I think last time we got together, I'm, I'm interested in seeing or keeping keeping that in mind when we get to later on when Lois comes back. When or? Lois comes back, yeah, just okay. because she she became so identified with the role, and I'm curious if we still get that same kind of thing, or if it's just these actresses. I, I have a feeling it's going to be the same thing, but mm-hmm. I'm kind of interested in in seeing when she comes comes on the show. Okay, yeah, yeah, because I don't I don't know that. It, I don't remember listen, how she sounded before. Of course, I never listened to it this analytical before either. Right, yeah. I mean, it, it's different when you just listen to something for entertainment versus trying to kind of yeah. tear it apart for a podcast. But. Exactly. Yeah, when you're driving down the road, kind of only half listening because you're trying to drive. But when you're sitting there focused on it and right. listening for every little detail, yeah. Um, the fact when, – when Clark's uh, – trying to get through the gate, you know, and, and Elsie's back in the car. Mm-hmm. They use a flying sound effect before mm-hmm. and after Clark kicks down the gate, which indicates to me that he walked off, changed to Superman, flew back, tore down the gate, flew off, changed back to Clark, <laughs> and then went back to meet Elsie again. Well, see, now I actually had to go back and listen to that like two or three times, but I'm pretty sure that what happened was Clark actually checks out a fence first just a random section of the fence and realizes okay. it's it's electrified and decides he's going to check out the gate and he changes to Superman and flies over and lands at the gate. It's still electrified, so he knocks it down and then goes changes back to Clark and goes meets Elsie. Okay, but he, he says something about the gate being hidden before he before he gets zapped. He says it's it looks too carefully hidden, so he starts tearing away some of the brush and then he gets zapped. So do you think uh, that was just part of the fence? Or that's the way I took it, but okay. I'm not completely sure now. <laughs> You've put a little doubt in my mind. Thanks a lot, Michael. <laughs> that's what I'm here for. No, yeah, but but I, I guess what I'm getting at is though that he's he, it's like he he flies off, changes Superman, comes back instead of just doing it when there's no one around. He actually takes the time to change well, Superman, unless yeah. they're just using the sound effect as a kind of a cue for the listeners. Yeah, when I first heard it, I heard uh, it. To me, in my head, the way I was picturing in my head, it was he walked up to the gate as Clark right. <laughs> and checked it out. It's like, oh, it's it, it'll, it's electrified. And then, like you said, changes to Superman, flies around for a little bit, and then comes back. <laughs> yeah. Like he's trying to you know, do that thing he does in the comics where you know, it can't look like Superman's been here. So he runs off in one direction, changes, then super speeds around so that he can fly in from the other direction or something. Yeah. But – 
if it's dark and there was no one there, I don't know. I guess otherwise they wouldn't really have had much flying going on, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it is weird. It's a confusing little bit of story. Yeah. Because you really it, – it's hard to – I I did go back because that was the episode I had to do the note to the synopsis for, and which was really awesome. And um, yeah, it, to me it sounded like he checked a section of fence first and then flew to the gate. Yeah, that could yeah. be too. But um, shortly after that, <laughs> uh, he flies back to sit to because the dogs are attacking <laughs> uh, Elsie, and he keeps. Now I'm guessing it, later on it sounds like she hid in the car, but the whole time he's using his Superman voice. Yeah, it's. I don't know if it's really his Superman voice or his Clark voice in more of an authoritative tone. And it sounded like the low Superman shouting yeah. voice to me, but yeah. It, it was kind of weird. It's like, and she never noticed it. And then he runs off, and then he comes back at that higher octave again. He yeah. runs off, chases, get away, get away. It's okay, Miss Beach, we got him. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that is so weird. And she doesn't notice. But I'm hoping, I think from the dialogue, it indicated she was hiding. Public power in the back seat, yeah. Excuse me, yeah. But my guess is a combination of it being dark and her hiding. Maybe she couldn't tell that it was a guy in tights wearing a cape. Could be, yeah. That's even if he changed, because <laughs> so many of these, it's hard to tell if he's actually changed or if he's still in his civvies when he's doing some of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, we we brought that up last time. It's hard to tell whether he's, especially when it's something like this where he's just by himself. Right. Speaking of that scene, I thought that was a pretty terrible sound effect for the dogs. It was just a couple guys going, roof, 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 yeah. Roof, roof, roof. yeah, I, I had that note too that kind of sounded like a person just doing the barking, which yeah. it probably was, but still. Yeah. Uh, but they didn't have, um, what's his name from from Scooby-Doo? Don Messick? No. No. Who's the guy? That, uh, the guy that's Freddy's voice. Megatron and real famous Peter Cullen is Optimus and the other guy is Megatron I don't know can't think of his name dang it <laughs> but he does a lot of he's uh, he's not only a voice actor that does a lot of different voices but uh, he's also does really good with the animal sounds he's basically he's the go-to guy if they need animal accurate like dog barks or right Frank Welker that's Frank Welker that's his name thank you just looking it up. Okay, but yeah, basically, if they had him, it would have sounded better. But you know, this is probably before he was even born. Yeah, I'm looking at his at his Wikipedia entry. He was born in 1946, so uh, yeah, just so. a few years before he was born. But, but yeah, he apparently. Now, I always miss it, but it's like whenever you hear something that has some pretty effective, and you just think that they're using like some pre-recorded sound effect of a dog barking, you can look at the uh, at the credits and you find out that dog barking Peter or Frank Welker <laughs> it's like wow he d- he gets the snarls and the everything so in this one yeah they just <laughs> this says Frank Welker also did the voice of Darkseid in the uh, Super Friends legendary yes. superpower show and the Super the Galactic Guardians show uh huh mm-hmm. and he was the voice double for Leonard Nimoy in Star Trek 3 The Search for Spock now that I didn't know, hmm. that's kind of cool. I will agree with the other two. He used the same voice for Darkseid that he used for Doctor Claw on Inspector Gadget. 
And, and apparently it's the same voice he used for like Soundwave on Transformers, but they would do all the uh, weird sound effect to, distortion to Soundwave's voice. Huh. And uh, it, if you know Soundwave on Transformers. I was never really into Transformers. I know that's he's, points he's off the, my geek cred, but... Well, he was the Decepticon. That's one of the bad guys. That yes, yes. Was the, was I know the, the basics, yes. He's the tape deck one. Yeah. And he always sound monotone. And they would do a distortion where instead of sounding like Darkseid, he would have this very monotone sound to his voice hmm. kind of thing. He was also the voice of Wonder Dog. See? On Super Friends. See? There you go. Wonder Dog is a dog. And, man, this, this he's like a... Uh, he's seven degrees of geekery and, here with his uh, oh, yeah. roster, Scooby Doo and uh, Super Friends and he Star literally, Trek. He literally was about ninety percent of all of the Decepticons on Transformers, <laughs> at least the first couple of seasons. He was a good portion of them all. <laughs> Looks like I he's think. done some Star Wars stuff, so Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Wow! So he's like. Any anything geeky? Captain America. He was Captain America's yeah. super soldier. What is that? Oh, that's the video game. That's right. And he's been the only voice for Freddy forever. I think. Could be. Yeah. I don't think they've used anyone else's Freddy on Scooby Doo's except him since the seventies. He still does it. Uh, Wikipedia <laughs> says they used Carl Stevens for that a pup named Scooby Doo that was on in the late eighties. Oh, well, yeah, he was a kid. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yes. Although they did get uh, what's his name. Casey Kasem, I think, was shaggy in that. He just did a higher voice. Could be. Anyway. I, watched, I, remember, I remember watching that when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, I miss Pup Named Scooby-Doo. It was a funny show. Yeah. When you're seven. <laughs> but <laughs> Speaking of Superman. Did you know that this is an ep- a podcast about Superman? You really should do a Scooby-Doo podcast now. <laughs> yeah, no. That's not yeah. going to happen. No, no. <laughs> Oh, uh, okay. Uh, jinkies. Oh, <laughs> uh, did you ever see the? Uh, have you ever watched Johnny Bravo? Mm, time or two. They actually had an episode where he met up with Scooby and the gang. Oh yeah. <laughs> Makes fun of everything they do. <laughs> uh, it's like jinkies. The heck's a jinkies? It's hilarious. <laughs> anyway, but that's. What about the second episode, Michael? Episode twenty-three. Yes. Yeah. It was called The Giant of Brentwood. I thought this was quite a suspenseful episode. It Really, the last half of the last episode was as well. But I think with some contemporary scoring, we would really have something kind of nice here. Mm-hmm. Um, and You know, when you consider they're only working with dialogue here because there's very little sound effects or narration in this episode, I think they just really do an excellent job of, of building that suspense and, and communicating that with a listener. Especially since these are from 1940, and it's still an early stage, yeah, of yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I would totally agree. This was very suspenseful, and <laughs> with some contemporary. No, um, but yeah, it, it, the music would have really helped. But I, I thought they conveyed it really well. In my notes, I kept writing the doctor and the doctor, <laughs> the doctor, and I was like, "Wow, Clark's f- meeting up with Doctor Who, <laughs> like twenty some years before he's created." Yeah, some. But yeah, anyway, I kept wanting to go the doctor. But yeah, the um, when Clark breaks into the room that Doctor Beecham is in, and Doctor Beecham's got a gun and shoots at him, he just kind of yeah, he has no problem with 
not letting it affect them. It's well, like he's bulletproof. He just well, I know he is. <laughs> Superman's the bulletproof part. <laughs> Clark isn't. Yeah. So he. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah, he's he's already broken down the door, which you can actually you know people, regular people can do it. You see it on TV all the time. I don't know how easy it really is in real life, but you can do it. They do it on TV all the time. Yeah, it's not as easy as it looks. Yeah. They usually just make it look like they just kick it and it just breaks in, no problem. But yeah, yeah. Um, but and then so I guess the idea is Beecham is just a really lousy shot. He went to uh, he got his gun training from the same place that the Cobra agents got there. Oh uh, yes, yeah, because they couldn't hit the broadside of a barn either. Right. Good point. And they had laser guns, so <laughs> red lasers and blue lasers. Yep. Yes. <laughs> uh, but this is the. I don't think we have anything else before then. I'm looking. No. Yeah. Um. This is jumping ahead a little bit, but this is the first time that Superman has actually fought someone in the radio show when he's fighting the uh, the giant outside the house. We haven't had a lot of physical altercations in the radio show yet. I mean, not. That's not a hard that thing to communicate. Not that lasted longer than like a punch. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah I don't. It's not really punching fight. somebody. That's <laughs> this is. I mean, he actually fought this guy. You yeah, know, like he actually had to hand, but use some muscle. Well, he always uses muscle, but he actually had to fight. Like he took a few hits too. I think. Didn't yeah, he? yeah. We, we just haven't had that in the radio show. I mean, Mm-mm. not only is that hard to get across when you've only got sounds to work with, but he's also more under the radar in the radio show and so and plus he's only faced you know crooks and whatnot so you can't really uh, you, he, he can toss them around but he can't actually get in there and, and have a slugfest with them so, exactly otherwise his, their faces fall apart and things like that and it's kind of gruesome yeah and even it's been the same way in the comics I mean he fought Luthor's mutant uh, mutant beast and there was that Sunday storyline with the uh, the giants from Wherever they were from, Captain Caveman, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, we're not we're we're not really to that, and I guess it won't technically come for quite a while yet, where he's actually uh, going one on one with the villains. So it's yeah, it's kind of nice to see when we get it or hear as we get it. It's it's a rare joy. Yeah, uh, but Clark breaking the breaking the uh, the lock on the door when he threw the rock at it that was very reminiscent of the kind of stunt they would pull on. You know, Lois and Clark or Smallville, or especially when he just kind of passes it off as a rusty lock, which I kind of yes, liked. Yes, I think I think sometimes he's even just pulled on it and it's busted. Yeah, they they did that a lot in both those shows. He's just like, oh, it's a, it's all right, it's just an old lock, and he yeah. kind of throws it away before anyone can touch it. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not. It's subtle, and it, it's kind of a laugh for the audience. I like it. But um, next one, my note because I had one too. Um, first of all, it was getting really annoying listening to the Dr. Beecham co- call Clark a fool instead of answering Clark's questions about what the heck's going on. Yeah. I understand that they were trying to prolong the suspense, but all he did the whole time was, you just don't understand, you fool. Right. Well, it's like, explain it to him so he can understand, you doctor. But yeah, he wouldn't. And I wanted to know why Clark has matches. He doesn't smoke. Maybe he does smoke. We've seen him smoking in the uh, comics a time or two. He did light up? Well, I guess this we've is seen the him, We've seen him smoking been... with a pipe in his mouth a time or two. Really? Yeah. Not as often as Bruce Wayne, but yeah. Clark, oh. not Superman. Superman's never smoked, but Clark. Well, right. we've seen Clark with a pipe, yeah. 
Huh. Well, it was the forties. Smoking wasn't yeah. bad for you then. No, back in the forties, <laughs> everyone was doing it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess it's just assumed that he smoked. That's another weird thing of the forties. Yeah. Well, on the plus side, though, he was not like he was going to get cancer. <laughs> right. Smoking wasn't bad for you in the forties. So. Right. Uh, Even pregnant women did it. Right. And now their kids are in Congress. Anyway, that's wrong. <laughs> you can take that out too. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I, I wish I had more to say about this episode because I I really did dig it. Um, I love that the show was able to do action heavy episodes like the the fire in the Sterling Building from I think two storylines ago or whatever it was. But but then episodes like this, which are for the most part just Clark and Elsie talking through the story. And, and they're both interesting, and they both keep your attention. And I just I think that just says a lot about the writing on the show. Even mm-hmm. though we do have problems with some of the silliness and and stuff that goes along with the era in which they were written, but it's just they're just so good, you know. And no matter what they do, they're so good. Oh yeah, totally. They did they they do a really good job of it's and it, they're getting better with it too. Oh yeah, as they go along and get more comfortable with the format, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and the characters. Yes, yes. Because it's it's not it's not easy to be possible, you know, writing a I don't know like a western drama or something, and then have to come in and write a story involving a guy that can fly. Right, I'm it's sure two, that's difficult. Two completely <laughs> different uh, uh, genres, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But episode twenty four is called "The Secret of Stone House." In the opening, we have Superman once again being called the tireless fighter for truth and justice, which I liked hearing again. Yay. And uh, I kind of laughed when at, at the very beginning of the episode, Clark and, and the doctor run downstairs and they're looking for Elsie. And uh, the doctor says, maybe she fainted and fell and, and tells Clark to look behind the couch. It just <laughs> yes. comes off as very uh, sitcom-ish. Yes, yes, yes. And, and very fitting for the time of the viewpoint on women. Yes. Oh, Yes. <laughs> Yes. Yes. I, it, that, I thought that was pretty funny. It's like, yeah, she could still be in the house. She probably fainted anywhere, but yeah. But then we we go a little farther, and Clark discovers that the giant man he threw in the, in, into the tree was surprise able to get out of the tree. <laughs> yeah. It, Shocking, right? <laughs> Who would have thought? I, I don't know why he thought the giant would still be there, unless uh, he thought he knocked him out and. Into a coma or something. I, how, how big are you picturing this guy? Like Shaq size? I, I don't mean. I'm not trying to be um, racist. Shaq's huge. So yeah, like, like you know, something s- like seven foot. Tall. Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. Not like so not a big, not like a uh, literal giant. Uh, David and Goliath giant <laughs> okay. or Jack and the Beanstalk giant, but yeah, uh, yeah it's not like giant human men are, size, but still you know big. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently Superman thinks that. Just because you're taller, you can't climb out of a tree, which makes no sense because you actually would have an easier time getting your feet to the ground if you're taller. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, see, my note was um, that while he's flying around checking stuff out, though, he says it's too dark to see much. And I could have sworn <laughs> that we've already established that he can see in the dark. Yes. That was in the first storyline, I think. Yes. Good thing I can see in the dark and through walls. Right. I believe is the quote. Right. And so now he can't see in the dark, uh, which would explain why he uh, thought that a regular a cop car was a regular car a few episodes back too. But still, 
it, it just was one of those nitpicky things that I although I'm guessing since it has been several episodes and these kids weren't recording them and listening back to them right. I guess they figured eh no one's going to remember we said that yeah or it's just you know inconsistencies like the, the comics there for the first year year and a half had were really inconsistent with his powers too you know until mm-hmm. they got him more established so it's it's hard when you're still learning this, the character too yeah when you're still developing the character I guess um so then we get to <laughs> the the next scene which is where uh Superman finds the cab driver and I think the cab driver got off far easier than the houseboy did mm-hmm. from the last story although the cab driver did have to spend some time in the air and yeah what's his name not Haji <laughs> Sita Sita thank yes. you <sighs> Wow, you could probably take that out too. Okay, but and yeah, like Sita got to just kind of hang there and ask please a lot. Yeah, he did get scared, but yeah, he. I think the cab driver got off a little easier, like you said. Yeah, I I really did like this exchange though between Superman and, and the taxi driver. Once again, this is you know Superman being a bully is not how I like my Superman, but it's very much in keeping with his portrayal in the comics to this point because mm-hmm. that's the exact type of thing that he would have done. If you picked up an issue of Action Comics, you know. Yes. Uh, but he he has never changed to Clark in front of someone, though. No, and that kind of annoyed me. Really? <laughs> well. Well, yeah, I can. Yeah. The whole point is he's trying to keep us. The whole point this whole time was he's keeping it a secret. Now, I know I'm coming at it from this end of the legend instead of that end, but even up to this point, Clark is doing has been working on trying to keep his secret that he's Superman and that, you know, Clark and Superman at the same time. That's been in the comics. Oh, okay. I I was going to say, or that Superman ever exists, but you're talking about. Right. Well, in the comics, it's, it's, it's that, you know, that, you know, he's not Superman, Superman's not him. Right. And in this, it's not only that they aren't the same person, but also that Superman doesn't exist. Like you just said. And so it, it, it annoys me. One, this this whole story has had him been a little less, a little more open with his powers. But as we've already discussed a couple times, but in this instance, he literally changes in front of the guy and just says, don't tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> and basically intimidates the guy. And I'm sorry, but, you know, granted at this point, since Superman's not supposed to quote unquote exist, they can't really prove anything and it's just going to sound like the guy's crazy when he says that there's a guy, a flying guy, and it's that reporter guy. But still, it's just a little... It, it kind of goes, flies in the face of everything about yeah. Superman and the secret identity that you've ever, ever, ever witnessed before. Right. Oh. All right. That's that. Oh. Now, you come along with me. Uh, no, not in that house. It's spooked. I ain't going in there. Oh, yes, you are, and right now, too. But take a look at me first. Hey, you're changed. You've got regular clothes on. Right. And if you think you've been flying through the air, you've just been imagining things, understand? What? The... Hey, listen. I know mighty well I was flying. I say you weren't. Unless you want to fly again and much higher. Oh, no, 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 no. All right. Not me. Then remember what I say. Now forget all about it. Huh? Oh, 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 sure, sure. I, I, I catch. Yeah, boss, whatever you say. All right. Kent. I say, Kent, are you there? Right here, doctor. Outside the house. Hey, 
Even your voice is different. You remember what I say? Oh, sure, sure, boss, you bet. Kent, what luck? None at all, Doctor. I had How this note you? later on down, but since that particular note is no longer needed, <laughs> um, I'll say it now. I, I don't know why they even needed to bring the taxi driver back to the house. He could have just coerced the, the, the information out of him and then sent him on his merry way. The only thing he seemed to point out was the, about the little guys. Right. And that they had that bamboo that they used as a blowgun. Yeah. Beyond that, he has – and the, then the one line that he has about um, the whole airplane thing is not even said by him. Right. So, yeah, it's kind of – they probably could have figured out that they were shooting darts without him being there. I would think something going past my head, I'm sure the doctor could have been could have just easily said, oh, there must be something of someone from the Atlant or Azatlan tribe. They They have – blowguns and darts with poison tips on them and right yeah that was kind of and, and see when i heard when i saw that i thought i remembered that the taxi driver died in the fire and um so i was like oh well this may this is all right because the guy's gonna get killed off anyway and then he doesn't right i, I kind of uh, wonder if they maybe had to do some last minute reworking of the script because the voice actors weren't available but arthur vinton did the voice of the cab driver as well as the the Azatlan, the mm-hmm. high priest of Azatlan. So he was there. I don't know. It's just kind of a, a weird point that maybe could yeah, have been I... taken out. <laughs> I don't know. It is really weird. Yeah. Although didn't they do time. that with yeah? Didn't they do that with Perry too? No, that was because Perry was supposed to be talking to the to uh, the yellow mask. Never mind. Because. They couldn't have Perry talking to himself, so they had to get someone else to be Yellow Mask when he was talking to Perry. Right. But they, that one episode. Yeah, yeah, but Perry could be two different people in the same episode. Okay, never mind. So that, that throws my that throws my no price answer all out the window, yeah. which is good because this is more of a DC thing than a Marvel thing. Um, moving to the end of the episode, though, Ned Weaver has got to be getting a little nervous at this point because this is the third character he's played that's been killed off. Uh, he played Jor-El, and he played the wolf. And now he plays Dr. Beecham. And I guess Dr. Beecham doesn't technically die, but he does have the very extended death scene at the end of the episode. Yes, and I forgot to note that, but man, that was a long death scene. Yes. <laughs> I was just like, okay, dude, just pass out, or die, or do something. But he just... You think he's gone, then he comes back. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> it's he, like um, <laughs> Paul Rubens in Buffy the Vampire Slayer where he just keeps yeah. dying and dying and yeah. Yeah, it's so weird. It's like he had it's like he, he had like five different death scenes all together. Yeah. Then he doesn't die. So it's like, <laughs> it's like okay. It's a good thing he had the strength to let Clark know about that stuff before he passed out though. Oh yeah. Gotta get the exposition out before you die. That's yes. the number one rule. Our next episode is episode twenty five and it's called The Immortal People. We start off um, with Clark being wrong again. He tells the doctor that he didn't think the he didn't think the natives had taken Elsie when it turns out that they had. <laughs> it's just kind of weird that they they keep having Clark be wrong about stuff, but it's like he'll just say something that's completely wrong, but didn't then it never be becomes right a plot point because didn't he's he still to, the hero. Didn't he used to be right all the time? Well, yeah. Because and now they're the having hero. a wrong all the time. But now yeah. he's wrong about stuff, but it never it never becomes a factor in the story. He yeah. just says something that's wrong, and then it turns out that it doesn't really matter anyway. 
Well, you know what the difference is, is that he's not talking with like police chiefs and head <laughs> train operations and telling them what to do. Yeah. <laughs> this is a doctor. He, he's totally out of his element. So again, I just kind of wonder if if this is the writer's way of making the characters more human, I guess. <laughs> yeah. you know, One extreme. Oh, to- well, Clark's not always right. He's wrong sometimes, but it doesn't matter. But, it's just yeah. Weird. <laughs> well, that way you can still have him have a fault, right. but it's not too big of a fault that it causes a problem later. Right. He can still be the big hero and save the day. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a it's kind of a subtle thing, but I like that Zingri went to save Elsie, even though he didn't know who she was. I mean, it would have yeah. it would have made no sense for her for him to know who she was, but. It does surprise me that they didn't write that in anyway. Yeah. And they could have just ignored the plot point, I guess, but they they did actually take a line of dialogue to explain it, which I really appreciated. It kind of makes them – that's the kind of thing that they use in the Superman comics even now. It's like it kind of makes him even more of a hero because he doesn't have the superpowers. Right. And he literally did risk his life to save Elsie, and right. it cost him his life to save her. So. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, these shows are for kids, but they're very, very well written. I mean, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that doesn't mean they're without their plot holes, of course, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've even pointed out just a couple hundred of a them. A couple, yeah. Mm-hmm. So then uh, the, good, the good doctor is explaining his story, and he talks about how he stole the emerald from the, the native people. Yeah. And they're mad at him for that? What the heck? Oh, go figure, yeah. <laughs> Jeez, who would have thought? So they come and steal it back. And now he's mad. It's like, I guess that's probably the one thing that kind of upsets me with this one is just yes. the fact that even Superman is trying to get the emerald back for the doctor. When they stole it back, It was it's their property anyway. Right. I think is one of the things that has... That gets me too is <laughs> he stole it. He's technically in the wrong. I don't care if it's supposed to help people. Uh, he could have explained that and probably gotten a lot, you know, gotten them to help him translate it maybe. But yeah, since that's how the show ended anyway. But um, yeah, it's of course, just, that's six episodes we'd be out <laughs> on the radio show, but still. It's just kind of a pet peeve of mine in these stories. I mean, Yes, the natives attempted to kill Dr. Beecham. I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but they, they tried to kill him, and they, they blew up the house. But Beecham stole the emerald, which is wrong too, and there's nothing that's ever really said about that. I mean I guess they do kind of half-heartedly acknowledge it at the very end of the six episodes mm-hmm. that the natives did bad things, but they were only trying to get back what was theirs. But still, they never really – I, yeah, I would have but- liked to have seen Superman – scold him a little bit and said, well, you stole the, you know, you stole what was theirs, you know, not, not that that means he deserves to get blown up, right. but he's not exactly innocent here. Especially after all those times he called Clark a fool. Right. It might've been nice to have Clark come back and say, you called me a fool. <laughs> You're the fool that stole the, di- the emerald and brought all this on all of us you in the brought first it on yourself. Right. That, yeah. that would have been a good line of dialogue that he brought it on himself. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, he, he makes it sound like it's all Clark's fault. So basically what we're learning here is that the doctor is very good at blaming other people for his faults. Right. And so that, to me, that would have made Superman even better because 
he scold he would have scolded the doctor for bringing it on himself, but then saved him anyway. Mm-hmm. So he's he's saving the good guys as as well as the bad guys. Exactly. So. And, but unfortunately, as it's written, it's basically it's fine that the doctor stole it, but it's not good that these brown guys are trying to steal it back. Right. Yeah. Of course, they are also killing and maiming in order to do so, but <laughs> the fact that they're stealing it back, it makes them bad guys, even though he did the exact same thing. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was a little bit confused. How did the doctor and Elsie get to the room if they were blocked in? Because Clark, the, the explosion happens and the, the stairway gets blocked. So Clark tells Elsie and the doctor to go the back way, whatever that is. But then there's another – Clark says something about another wall has fallen and it blocked them in. But then they all get to the room kind of at the same time and I'm not sure how any of them got there or what – well, I know how Clark got there, but I don't know why the doctor and Elsie didn't question how Clark got there when he clearly couldn't have gone up the stairs. Mm. And I don't know how yeah. they got there since Clark said that they were blocked in from the second wall that had fallen. Yeah, I kind of was confused by that too. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know how I forgot. I was confused a, by it's that. It's a very confusing part of the the story. Well, you know, I mean, they wouldn't question Clark. I mean, the Clark's already had bullets bounce off of him and <laughs> fought off dogs in right. a low tenor voice. So, yeah, I'm sure him walking through a, a fallen wall is no problem. <laughs> but yeah, it's that, ladies and gentlemen, is called a plot hole. Yes. What were we just saying? (laughs) But that's all I had about this episode. It was very exposition heavy, maybe too much so, Um, even though I've been kind of critical about them squeezing a Superman scene into every episode or two before. I I really think this one needed more Superman. Um, Yeah. we We had roughly five minutes of the Doctor relating his story. And then another two minutes for the opening and closing. That only leaves about three minutes for the rest of the story. And it just, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it, uh, I think the the thing that it was getting to me by this point too is that basically most of the story was taking place in one spot. Yes. And it would be kind of hard to come up with things for Superman to do in secret. <laughs> right. In one spot. So, but yeah, and it was exposition heavy, but. Which is probably why yeah. they had the stairway get blocked and have him bust through so he could mm-hmm. have his Superman so moment. So he has to have – yeah, yeah. He's but then they couldn't something. figure out how to explain it. So they so, just yeah. kind of ignored it. Right. But that's all I had for that. So if you don't have anything else, we'll just move on to uh, 26, which okay. is Secret of the Sacred Emerald. The episode starts off with Clark not doing a very good job of hiding his abilities. This whole show – this whole story has been bad at – he's been bad at this. But this time he literally jumps out of – I guess it was a pretty high up window, considering that in going from the window to the ground, they made the flying sound effect. Well, I I actually had a note about that, and then I deleted it when I listened to it again, because um, Clark says something about he's going to jump out the window, and Elsie actually says something to the effect of, you'll break your neck or you'll break your ankle or something. Mm -hmm. And he just says, oh, I'll be all right. And they're only like one story up. Which, I mean, I'm not going to jump a story down. Oh, that's still going to hurt. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, I guess it's feasible if you knew what you were doing that you could jump that distance and, and land safely. 
Yeah. So Do that, maybe yeah, I kind of passed on it, but but yeah, you're right. He's not doing a very good job at all in this storyline of hiding his yeah. And then if they had watched him, based on the sound effects they use for the feet when he's running, <laughs> he is running at super speed <laughs> once he hits the ground. Yeah. Because that was no way that was normal running noise. No. That was like it was like. Doo, 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 doo. I mean, this could have this that part could have been part of a flash radio drama. He was definitely running at super. So basically, if they were watching out the window still and saw him run off, they probably saw a dark blur. But well, it was yeah. too dark for them to see anything, probably. Oh yeah, is it still the same night? This is all in one night, isn't it? Yes. Wow. But so yeah, but in any event, so he first of all he jumps out the window. That's you know saying he won't get hurt, but probably should have at least been a little hurt. And then he runs off really fast so that he can pretend he's running to the car. That was the other thing. He's running that fast, but he actually says he's going to run over towards the cars that are hit, you know, in the trees so that he can look like he's headed to the car. So I guess he's worried that they could see him, but he still runs uh, – uh, Yeah, it's one of those things we can't think too much about, I think. <laughs> it's like chicken or the egg. Uh, I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> These stories are really fun until you start to think about them. Or not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's yeah. It, it, they're it, as cool as it is that we're doing the show. It's kind of like if you just listen to them once, you're fine. Right. If you're going to analyze them, yeah, you're going to notice things. Yeah. But um, but moving ahead just a little bit, when Superman finally gets to the auto gyro and and uh, I guess he breaks into the auto like. I guess there's like a cabin of the. I, don't, yeah, I didn't think like, auto gyros actually had enclosed. Yeah, I thought spaces. auto gyros were like tiny one person helicopter like right. things. One or two person, and, yeah. And it, well, first of all, there's two people in it. Of course, they're supposed Plus to be little. Yeah, so three people. Now, they say they're little, so I don't know if that's supposed to mean like dwarf size. That's the, that's the PC way to say it. I don't know if they're supposed to be dwarf size or what. Who, who was the. Name of that guy on Fantasy Island? Oh. Not, not Ricardo Montalban, but the other guy. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> but the plane, boss. The plane. Yeah, that guy, yeah. 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 Um, that was my favorite part of the episode. But anyway, um, <laughs> I was. Uh, yeah, the way they made it sound, it, they saw him flying up, and it the noise, the sound effect they used, it sounded like he just kind of flew up and opened the door and walked in. Yeah. And it's like, well, first of all, that's a giant auto gyro. And two, normally, and st- well, normally, whenever someone does that, there's usually some kind of a pressure thing yes. and all kinds of other troubles. But there's no sound effect for that. He just literally no. opens the door and walks right in, like it's no big deal. Okay, I'm looking on Google Images right now, and there are, there are some photos of some auto gyros that are enclosed. Okay, but nothing where you could just walk up and like open a door and walk in. Okay. Yeah, because, well, all I have well, – let me look that up too because all I have to go on is like the bat gyro from the right. old comics. Uh-huh. And those, there's no way he's going up to a door. Well, looking at these, yeah, but still it's like one or two people that – Right. It would have to be a large auto gyro. Yes. Maybe by auto gyro they meant really big helicopter. That's possible. But even a helicopter wouldn't. I don't um, know. Like I said, I got- don't think about it. <laughs> So, anyway, Cookie. I was just curious. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but anyway, <laughs> what I was 
starting to say before we got off on that little tangent. Um, when he actually goes into the autogyro, the the natives go, No speak! No speak Yankee! Well, you'll speak at this time. And I'm like, what the heck? You were just speaking. You were just speaking, Yankee. Well, they were, try- they were trying then- to make it so they couldn't talk to him. <sighs> yeah, maybe. Because <laughs> it's like... It's, it's a really bizarre line of dialogue. I don't know. Well, yeah. It's, it's like those things... Um, you see that on like the cop, like cop shows all the time. They they go to like a Hispanic person, and it's like he's been taught. You know, he's the one that's guilty. He's been talking English the whole time, and they talk. The police try to talk to uh, uh, no no uh, no English, no English, and like they you know just to try to hide the fact that obviously it wasn't me because I can't speak Spanish or speak English. Yeah, but yeah, so I didn't actually have too much of a problem. It did sound okay. a little fishy, but. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was kind of annoying that they would try that. And he, he totally ignores it. Like, don't give me that. I know you can. Yeah, yeah. So he probably heard it with the super hearing that wasn't mentioned. But, yeah. But when he's fighting or, or harassing might be a better way to put it, the natives, he mentions Krypton, which I thought yes. was really cool. So he does know where he's from. Uh, we kind of questioned that in, in the second episode of the show, which we talked about in the first radio episode yeah he only said that the planet he came from was gone and we weren't really sure there have been no stories in the comics or newspapers to this point that indicate that superman knows where he's from and in fact there was a newspaper strip from december of 39 where he specifically told lois that he didn't know so i kind of find it interesting that in the radio show he does know because there's no way or, or there's no indication of how he knows yeah good point which we talked about in the first time too, but so I thought that was kind of interesting. Hmm. I didn't catch that. Well, I mean, I caught that he said it, but I didn't. Duh. I, I'm th- sitting here thinking, well, yeah, he know, he remembers he's from Krypton because he mentions that. But you're right; he just says where he is from is no longer, and it's not that these aren't the clothes of someone from Krypton. It's these were the clothes of Superman or whatever. Right. So anyway, yeah, you're right. When Superman does away with the as as Atlanteans and and heads back to the house he says uh seems like there's a lot of work for superman tonight which i thought was kind of funny <laughs> I, I i like seeing that little bit of tongue-in-cheek humor in my stories yeah it's just a little it's it's subtle but yeah, he does yeah, yeah. it's do like last it, i'm sorry it's like the couple stories back where he's like there's the skylight or rather there was, was the, the skylight, skylight. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um i do find it a bit odd though that superman refers to himself in the third person <laughs> when they've clearly established that Clark is the disguise in the radio show anyway yeah. I mean they've they set that out pretty firmly in the first uh, the second episode so it's just kind of weird that he well yeah he's about Superman but and you don't think of that when he says this looks like a job for Superman right yeah but yeah you're right he does that um okay so the end of the episode we have Elsie who's been listening and talking to the doctor <laughs> the doctor, uh, who has been listening and talking to her father this whole time about the little amulet and all this stuff. Somehow, while she was intently listening to her father and talking to him, Eddie, the taxi driver, somehow woke up and told her about the airplane at the <laughs> airport. Right. Very quietly and while she was talking and without the doctor noticing. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting. To the point yeah. where you didn't even realize he was alive. Exactly. I thought Eddie died in the fire. <laughs> I 
it, it, so, I, yeah. I can't explain it at all. I, I <laughs> somehow completely missed it. But yeah, missed it's just part, a yeah. well. It's it's simple because he doesn't have any more lines, and they, he brings the body back, or he brings Eddie up there. Uh, they don't literally say he's gonna. He's okay. I don't think. And he doesn't actually say it. You just Elsie just says that she was told. So right. it's a simple thing to miss, like maybe you know the first or second or was third time you've listened to it. Yeah. So like you know you could probably listen to it like three times and still not catch it. <laughs> um, our next episode, our final episode for this time out, is episode twenty-seven, and it's called "The Sacred Emerald of the Incas." Mm-hmm. On a powers note, when Superman goes from the Coast Guard station to the airport, it covers uh, he covers 30 miles in five minutes, which is 360 miles per hour. And I don't think we've seen him go that fast so far. Wow. Yeah. That's good math. I hadn't – I figured, well, super speed should do that, but yeah. 360 miles per hour is roughly half the speed of sound for what it's worth. That is faster than he was going – in the earlier episodes when he had to catch up to the... Well, no, because he said it's only going 90. Never mind. We never... Yeah. We've seen him say, I can go faster than a certain speed, but we've never actually seen him go 300... I mean, that's that's really fast. <laughs> that 60 miles per hour. That uh, is pretty good. Yeah. I wish uh, I could do that sometimes. <laughs> um, but the only other note I had goes all the way to the end of the episode... And I just loved Superman's speech about having a choice between saving the Emerald or the natives. There's one thing I must tell you, Doctor. I had a choice. A choice? Yes, come over here a minute, will you? Yeah, that's better. Yes, a choice. I could have saved the baggage with whatever might have been in it. You understand, Doctor? Yes, I understand. The Emerald. Yes, or the two priests. But I couldn't save both. It had to be one or the other. Mr. Kent, we understand. Human life, Miss Beecham. They've done a lot to you, poison arrows, fire. But after all, well, there was something on their side, too. And I couldn't just sit there and let them drown. No, Kent, of course not. You did exactly right. I hoped you'd think that. Not only is it a very awesome and extremely Superman moment, but the way it was written and delivered by Collier, it got the message across without being overly preachy or campy about it. And I just just really Mm -hmm. loved the way he delivered that. It was very Superman. Yes. I liked it, too. And uh, they say that we'll undoubtedly find out more about the Beecham's progress later, but I don't think we ever do, so don't get your hopes up. But it was supposed to change the world. Yeah. Maybe they they never figured it out, and that's why. Yeah. Well, you know why? They probably needed Zingri. (laughs) And he was only in the episode for, like, what, five seconds, so. Yeah. He didn't didn't even have any lines, I don't think. Mm, Yeah, you're right, because I think by the time they – yeah, I think – Elsie told everyone what he said. Right. Yeah. Well, that sucks. Poor Zingri. Poor Zingri. And now he's dead. So I noticed there was a lot of racism in this one. Not racism, but uh, the racial stereotype stuff that... Yeah, the dia- racially stereotyped dialogue. Yeah, I had a note about that too. And It's not really bad compared to other things from around this time. Yeah. Well, good thing it's not... It's... Good thing this weren't Japanese guys. Ugh. Sad to say, but it, it's just to be expected in this era. You know, I can't excuse mm-hmm. it, but I can accept it in the context. Yeah, so. I mean, it's not like, yeah, it, it, in context, it, while it's still not a good thing, it's not quite as bad because that's just the way things were back then, for right. better or for worse. For better or for worse, right, yeah. 
But um, I like this storyline quite a bit. At least I did when I did my notes. Now that we've gone over it again, <laughs> I I think the first half is good, but the last half is pretty terrible. Um, this the first half is very suspenseful, and mm-hmm. they do a lot of building and setting up. And but then once things actually start happening, it kind of takes a nosedive. Yeah, I think the uh, I liked it too. The only thing that was getting me was just Clark being so open with his powers, and yeah, or. Maybe he was hiding them, but the way it was written and portrayed, it seemed like he was being more open. Like when he was getting shot at, I don't know if maybe it was too dark to the guy for the guy to notice that the bullets were bouncing off. Maybe well, that's else. a good point now because it was lit only by candlelight. Well, he'd still have holes in his shirt, but he could probably hide it. But yeah, you got. I mean, it's bad lighting. Elsie could have been hiding in the car when the dogs were trying to attack, so she probably didn't see him right. fighting them off. Um, as much as we like the way these stories are being written, some of it, some of it is it's a combination of things where I don't know if we're picking it up right, <laughs> or if it's something they're just forgetting, or it's something that's intended for us to to hear and we're just not noticing it. Yeah, or up on it, but yeah. Because I, I, I'm not sure if I'm hearing it wrong or maybe it's just from trying to, you know, you're listening to this show 70 years later or something. But, yeah, because, well, like we've talked before, I mean, they use a lot of sound cues to let you know when he's Clark and when he's Superman right. without having to say, so, changing to Superman. Because right. that would get annoying after a while. <laughs> but And sometimes it's just hard to tell you know, if he's in this costume or not in this costume or who can see what he's doing. and Right. Yeah. Did it seem to you like these episodes spent a lot of time talking and recapping about what had just happened? Yes. And it was obviously because as it was recapping the whole story so far. Right. Every time. And that's even including the fact that the narrator also has recapped the previous story. Right. And they have to go in and recap the whole story up to this point. Yeah. I think they're really trying to keep it at six episodes for each storyline, or at mm-hmm. least – I guess we had the one that was only three, but you know, they, they want to keep it starting on a Monday and ending on a Friday. It sounds so, like Solomon Grundy when you say that. Starting on a Monday. Solomon yeah. Grundy want pants too. <laughs> I love that. Uh, uh, my, but my biggest complaint about this storyline is that the Beecham stole the emerald and that nothing is really said about it. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, in the 40s, it's okay for a white doctor to steal an emerald, but not little black guys. I guess so. But if you're interested in hearing this batch of episodes, all six episodes were included in the Radio Spirits Smithsonian box set uh, from the mid-90s. This is the last set of episodes on that box set. Other sets were released, down, but they're quite a ways down the road, Uh, not until... I think it's uh, 1942. Hold on. I would have to look. I've got oh, – I don't have the, the box Batman set here. The, yeah. The Adam Man, yeah. It's the Batman. The Batman ones are the ones that basically sets up the other ones. Uh, 45. According oh, to wow. The is that far, box. huh? Yeah. That's, the, that's what it says on the back of the Batman because uh, I just pulled it out here. The box. I just pulled out the box. Well, but, yeah, I guess it would be 45 because 42 – yeah. Okay. 
Yep. But yeah, anyway, that's a long ways down the road, and hopefully we will get there eventually. But it, it'll just be a few more episodes. So yeah, and there was actually no text adaptation for this one either, <sighs> which disappoints me a little bit because I was really looking forward to seeing how the uh, spot illustrations depicted the the natives. Yeah, especially if you have big guys and little guys. Right. I mentioned this in a, on a recent episode, but there have been no non-white characters in the comic books to this point. That's right. Yeah. So it's hard to say how the Schuster Studio... I mean, if you look at uh, Tex Thompson with, <laughs> with uh, Gargantua Potts, you know, that's a very... Uh, Is that the stereotypical kind, though? With the Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know black how to face. describe it. He's yeah, blackface, but that's yeah. With the big red lips and stuff. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a very racially loaded character, but uh, but we've not we've just not seen that with with the Schuster Studio, so I don't know how they would have depicted it. Well, it's almost like <laughs> you almost rather they don't. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah. I mean, if they probably would have gotten the racial. Yeah. The racial stereotype stuff. Probably, given so era, no, no doubt in my mind. Yeah. yeah, it's probably for the best that they didn't, because even when they started bringing them in in the seventies, they still weren't doing a very good job with it. Right. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But anyway, they were all on that box set, or they can be downloaded for free at various places across the internet. So check them out if you're interested. Yes. <laughs> Way to go, Chuck. Yeah, do that. Join David Ellis and Amy Morgan as they access 2099 Bitmap, a bi-weekly podcast exploring the world of Marvel 2099 through reviews and discussions. Download 2099 Bitmap at www.tfradio.net. December 7th, Earth 2, 1941, a world very much like our own, yet slightly different, a date which will live in infamy, a world at war, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron.
The Tales of the Justice Society of America, every Friday at twotruefreaks.libson.com. All right, well, next episode we'll be looking at the 13th storyline from the Daily Newspaper Strip. Uh, unfortunately, Charlie won't be back for about a month, but Sorry. he'll be here for the, the final episode of the year, which is Ooh. episode 52. Which Ooh, is just in time for New Year's. The new 52. Maybe we can reboot the show's continuity there. There you go. <laughs> I, I, can, I can be a Canadian radish farmer and you can be a haberdasher or something. We, we can can get I have you. an accent? Sure, why not? We're Sweet. rebooting. Why not? Sweet. We can have collars on our costumes and armor. And we can completely and... throw away the previous uh, stuff, and we've never reviewed an episode before. There you go. Yeah, it'll be like our first, but we're going to be like it. Uh, yeah. We'll just, go back and re- we'll just go back and redo those episodes again. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all didn't want to hear the stuff that's not in the first Smithsonian box set, right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll just go do that again now that we know more of what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, but no, I'm just kidding. There's no rebooting of the podcast. This is a reboot-free podcast. Um, but seriously, I mean, Charlie, to... we'll be back in episode 52 to close out the year, and we will be doing something a little bit different, but that's all I'm going to say about it for now. But I do want to thank you all for listening, and thank you, Charlie, once again for coming on. It was a blast. Oh, it was a blast being here. Thank you. Why don't you let them know where they can find you? Oh, okay. Um, Well... Now that I've brought it into my Justice League podcast, which is sad, um, basically the only place, the only other place you can find me is Superman of the Bronze Age, which I'm currently co-hosting. Yeah, currently co-hosting with J. David Weeder. And you can find that at superbronze1970.libsyn.com or at supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com. And it also gets posted at the supermanpodcastnetwork.com and posted on the supermanhomepage.com. And it's also on iTunes. And there's an RSS feed. Cool. Be sure to stop by the website for this show at greatcrypton.com. I probably won't have any bonus material in the post this time since there was no adaptation or anything. But uh, maybe I'll think of something to throw up there. But either way, the show will give you the RSS feed as well as the iTunes link. And both of those can be used to subscribe to the show. You can also find the show at the various social media sites. Social media sites, if I can talk uh, like uh, see there's Facebook and Twitter and I post there whenever I have new episodes or other show related news so be sure to follow the show on both sites to stay in the loop and he's not lying folks he does post a lot well not too much <laughs> no, I, just... I don't flood your wall but I do try to keep it active so no 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 he, he he's he's definitely keeps you won't forget that it's there <laughs> um I lost my train of thought. I didn't need that to be mean, sorry. (laughs) No, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, Um, yay. Okay. But I also welcome your emails, so you can just drop a line to thrillingadventures at greatcrypton.com and let Charlie and I know your thoughts about the shows we've covered, or the stories we've covered, and the show in general. Also, don't forget to stop by the Superman homepage, as well as the Superman Podcast Network. Updates for the show are posted at both sites, and they have all sorts of other super content for you in the meantime, including... Charlie's Superman in the Bronze Age and last but not least I invite you to check out my other podcast Green Lantern's Light which I co-host with Jeffrey Taylor and J. David Weeder there we're covering Superman stories from 1984 forward we've got two episodes out so far and a third one under our belts as soon as I get around to editing it so 
Yay. And as always, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster in his copyright DC Comics. So thanks again for listening to The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, and we'll talk to you later. Goodbye. Bye, everybody. to see when we get it or here as we get it it's it's a rare joy yeah i think you've got the next one did you hear that everything okay <laughs> she's got the uh a football game on oh and i get it's kansas state versus texas a&m oh. and uh <laughs> i guess kansas state just won or something it's, okay they're in their second overtime uh. and so yeah okay Anyway, <laughs> uh, but Clark breaking the breaking the uh, the lock on the door when he threw the rock at it that was very reminiscent of the kind of stunt they would pull on you know Lois and Clark or Smallville. And it's a wrap. Boom, boom, boom.